Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. The cultural sign of being healed is almost ubiquitous for finding new love. We imagine that if someone wants to connect with us, then it must mean that we're not really that bad. And if they like me, maybe it means that I'm healed enough to be likable. We project outwards that we're healed by simply being in relationship. Being in relationship isn't a substitute for the inner work. It just creates its own set of issues. Hi, I'm Mark Groves. I'm a human connection specialist and founder of Create the Love. At an early point in my life, I became obsessed with understanding relationships, the intricacies of how people connect. And through this exploration, I have created a life and a business dedicated to learning out loud and exploring how we interact with each other and the world. This podcast brings the world's top thought leaders, spiritual luminaries, physicians, scientists, researchers, best-selling authors, and health and wellness experts under one roof to discuss the good, the bad, the messy, and of course, the beautiful parts of the human experience. Welcome to the Mark Groves Podcast. I can't wait to dive in with you. Welcome to the podcast. I have previously had Mr. Rainier Wilds on the podcast to drop some poetic musings which uh, about love, which was fantastic. And now I get his better half, other half, <laughs> two holes, actually, I should two say. Two holes, yeah. Uh, Christy Bourne, which I was, we were just talking before we hit recording, I'm like, Bourne Wild, that's fucking the best dash I've ever heard in a name. <laughs> it's pretty intense. Or would it go the other way? <laughs> No, it's born wild. We oh, actually man. we actually got these tattooed on uh, our bodies because we're like, man, this is not only name magic; it's it's entire relational definition here. It really is. It's like a Atticus poem in a in a last <laughs> name. She grew some wings and she was wild. Uh, give her a sword and she slayed the demons. I'm. <laughs> where do you get a tattoo born wild? Like, where do you get it? Because you said on your bodies, and I'm like, that's got to go somewhere kind of wild, like over your heart, around your butt. Oh, that would have been better. Actually, I thought you meant where in location. We actually got him in Las Vegas. So I thought, no, that I was meant it. location. <laughs> Mine around my wrists. 
Yeah, mine are on my knuckles, but this is a funny story because you we almost had nuts there. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> that would hurt. You'd Uh-oh. have to stretch them out for that tattoo. This is a funny story, though, because this this tells you so much about unconscious living. We go to this tattoo parlor right off the strip, and we're thinking to ourselves, "Oh my God, let's do this. Let's let's put our names down upon our flesh. Let's embody this this maxim of living." Christy decides that she's going to get hers on her wrist. And I am waiting for, you know, my second set of knuckles. It feels like the right thing to do to tattoo these on my fingers. And so he begins to to do mine. It takes a little longer than Christie's, you know, obviously each letter, each finger. And then we get the bill. So as it turns out, <laughs> no, no, you were still in the chair. Oh, getting him right. done, And I was like, Oh, I'll just go pay for me real quick. You know, and I go over there. I'm like, Oh, dear God. So I walk, I'm like, do you know how much yours costs? <laughs> Turns out it was a it was a flat figure for each tattoo. So every oh, single no. finger letter? of mine, every letter no. was its own. It, it cost, it's an astronomical amount. It's so Bigger than like his giant chest piece for his knuckle. They're a volume-based play. I like that. They charge per time the pen comes up and goes down. It's not like you can actually uh, tell them, you know, you're mid, you're mid-knuckle and you're like, this is costing how much? So the, the great lesson here is negotiate before you, you get under the pen. That fits to so many things. Create the agreements prior to as opposed because I feel like people go so blindly into so many things, including relationship, you know, not being explicit about their agreements. And your relationship with your tattoo artist is clearly an example of that. And maybe your previous uh, 1.0 of your relationship. I don't know. Oh, absolutely. I think that's part of relationships is we just, we jump in because we are familiar to one another, right? We know what this feels like. It feels good. And that really happened for us. We fit like, like a glove. And I think that all the obstacles around us seemed to be so minimal. And we were like the eye of the storm. And for such a long time, we functioned that way until we created our own storm. Yeah. You know, I, this is something that has become more and more apparent to me, certainly within our relationship, but then just relationships in general that, you know, mostly our relationships are just stories about our relationships. We have mm. all of these very complex, nuanced mythologies about the people we're in connection to that are totally fictitious. You know, we don't really attach to people, we attach to the stories about them. And uh, we get those stories handed down from generations about what a relationship should look like, what it should be like, how we should be, how they should be. And what we find is that we're in connection, not to a real person, but to a cardboard cutout. It's amazing how much we live those narratives till we know, you know, how unconscious it is, the way that we're relating and we're like, oh, I'm doing it good or I'm doing it the good being I'm doing it like the people who taught me, like my church taught me, not realizing that we're unconsciously hiding or or navigating life the same way people previously unconsciously hid their desires, hid their, you know, so many and and presented righteously, you know, presented as I got my poop in a group. Meanwhile, like what's really going on in the internal world or in their hearts or in their souls or in the sort of minutia of the relationship 
is is like very hidden dysfunction. But if dysfunction is normal, then we feel normal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that one of the principles that like I come back to is like when we're working with couples in relationship, it's kind of like, unless you figure this out here, which you don't have to stay in this relationship, this one doesn't have to work for you, but you're just going to keep repeating it. And we give each other these allowances. Like um, I know Rainier and I did that, like this won't happen the way it did before. Mm. This won't happen the way it did before because we're different. You're different. I'm different. I've learned a little something along the way. You just replicate over and over again. That's how, how it happens until you wake up. Until you desire to finally face and change the pattern. Yeah, or until you're in so much pain. I don't really think this is, as you were saying, abnormal. I think this is a developmental stage of relating that I think we all go through. I don't think anybody skips this. Uh, If you think about that first stage of relating connection, it's union, right? And, And you're drawn to someone and you're drawn in by their story, their story, their mask. Oh, my mask is attracted to your mask. My story fits with your story. Oh my God, mom, mom, she's just like... You know, you, for instance, like, or whatever that story is that we cast. And, and in fact, you know, we tell these really humorous uh, ways of, of connection, like, like, oh, she thinks just like me, which is so humorous because then we're just saying that we just want ourselves in relationship after all, which is bizarre. <laughs> yeah, we need to have someone who's exactly <laughs> like me. That's perfect. Or even, you know, and we're so deluded, you know, even when they tell us truths, it's, it's like, we find ways to fictionalize that connection. Mm -hmm. So, you know, oh, he told me he was a serial killer. Oh, he's so honest. Oh my God, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's the first stage of relating though. You know, it gets us off the couch. It motivates us to get up and connect with one another. Otherwise, I think we just stay in our quiet solitude. You know, we need these illusions to propel us towards one another and inspire us to connect, I think. Yeah, love certainly, mo- I think it might be the most potent motivator for transformation. You know, there's very, which doesn't mean we say yes to it. We often will repeat the patterns as you were saying, Christy, till they heard enough that you have to pay attention. But even then, you know, I, I do think though that relational pain is the most frequent and potent elixir for transformation. And that's why, you know, even if it could be a breakup or a breakdown that leads us into exploring our inner cosmos, you realize that once you sort of open the the can of worms or the ability to start to see these things or the willingness you realize that the trip deeper into the cosmos can really be done consciously with a partner. Like if we are willing to keep going to those edges and see them as sort of like the invitation and us as theirs, you know, this, I always think of like Kylie and I often play sort of leapfrog of personal expansion. It's like, Hey, did you notice this? Or Hey, did you know? Like we take turns and sometimes one person takes more than one turn in a row. And sometimes the other person does, but we're both, continuously accepting the invitation, which is such a different, you know, I, I remember having a partner giving me feedback when I was in my twenties. God, if she listens to my podcast today, she was like, it's not always like that. That's for sure. She gave me feedback and I was like, uh, I mean, that's great. Not going to do much about that. (laughs) Like, I remember thinking that like, that's good. That's probably you, not me, you know, the flip of language. I've been such an avoider 
Uh, that's just been like a main technique of mine is avoiding, avoiding feedback, avoiding disappointment, avoiding anything. If I can make you happy, then I don't actually have to have a form of feedback. So I really kind of get that in terms of I'm not available for feedback and I'll beat you to it as well. Like I will just like, I can't, I remember like playing basketball in high school and after a game, I would deconstruct the whole game. And so when I sat down with like my dad, which he was really gracious, it was just me having insecurity. I could tell him everything that I did wrong. So I could beat him to the punches because I couldn't really handle that kind of level of like disappointment. And so I, I've been running away from a lot of emotions and authenticity for a good portion of my life. And so bringing that that aspect you're talking about is like this um, acceptance of self. So radically authentic, accepting self and then showing that in relationship is radical authenticity with your partner and bringing it to them. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we really tried to practice in terms of our leapfrog game as well. We haven't always, though. And I, I think to to Mark's <laughs> you know knowledge, anyone who hasn't heard the the first episode I recorded with Mark should probably at this point go back to that if you aren't familiar with our story. Because really, I think, you know, so much of our relationship was defined by this profound unconsciousness, the sitting down to get the tattoo before you know how much you're paying for it. I had been divorced before, gotten remarried, you know, fairly quickly after, conveniently blamed all of the problems on my previous partner. It was her fault. It was her doing. I was unfaithful because, you know, she pushed me to it. All of these things. And of course, all of the problems, all of the the things that were really going on in my heart of hearts were undealt with and continued. They just went further and further underground. That happened. I was on that kind of treadmill of ignoring my own sense of self uh, until the feedback loop of life demanded <laughs> uh, demanded that I do. That kind of reminds me of the the poem by uh, Ortega. I don't think it's a poem. It's more of just a philosophical statement. He says, um, the unique feature of life is its coerciveness. It comes at us point blank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that this is the reality. Like life came at me point blank and suddenly, you know, my own infidelity in our union became uh, front and center. And I had a decision. My decision was to continue to blame and shame and, and suppress and repress or to become explicitly honest. As honest as I could in that moment, you know, but as every moment goes by, you realize there's even more to be honest about. And it didn't really allow me to avoid anymore as well, because there is... Um something in my lap now. And so it really stopped me in my tracks from, I mean, we're talking about roles in some ways, you know, we met and I was pregnant and we still dated anyways, you know, and then we, then we got married, but my child has another father, right? And so we were in all kinds of situations. That's why I was saying like in the middle of the storm, like we were good. We knew this familiar place with each other because there was a whole lot of shit going on around us. And we weren't actually even honest about what that shit was. (laughs) We didn't even really lean in. I mean, this tattoo example is really fantastic. We didn't lean into like, oh, what do you got in your pile? You're just kind of sad. Okay, you got me. We were just like really good friends that didn't ask a lot of deep questions. We allowed for the acceptance of self. And so we played a role and we got married and I went quickly from being like well-educated, supporting myself to like 
being a mom of three. So Rainier had two boys, I had mine, and then it was like I was I was playing the role of my mom. And then we started missing each other. The things that we were so attracted to each other in the first place was like, I loved his mind. His mind was like the most juicy, wonderful thing in the world to talk to him. And you have gotten to experience that, right? Everyone gets to experience him through his words. That was like, I'm like, oh. And then like you have kids, you're like, I'm brain dead. So forget about me. Like I got nothing for you, baby. <laughs> like I am offline. I am not reading a book. What? And so we went for, uh, we just kind of played roles. He kind of did what he did in his other relationship, a marriage relationship. We were making house. We weren't really making relationship. If you haven't heard me talk about Cozy Earth Sheets before, let me tell you, I'm about to introduce you to the greatest sheets you will ever have touch your body. Anytime someone comes to our house and stays in our guest room, they always want to know what is the bed situation. What are the sheets that we have? Their sheets, their comforters, their duvets, everything is magic. Their bedding is naturally breathable. It's temperature regulating. It's so damn soft. It's ethically sourced viscose from bamboo. It's incredible. And the brand was featured on Oprah's favorite things but before that it was featured on Mark's favorite things like I discovered this brand years ago before I ever even chatted with them about being a sponsor for the podcast and because I love their product so much I asked for an exclusive offer for you and you get 40% off site-wide and now they have pajamas they have like loungewear so not only do you get to wrap yourself in the experience of the sheets as clothing but you then get to get into the bed in that so you're like double wrapped and so all you got to do to save 40% off site-wide is use the code groves at checkout so just my last name g-r-o-v-e-s so go to cozyearth.com C-O-Z-Y-E-A-R-T-H dot com and use the code Groves and you get 40% off all their products. I'm curious, what was the fear of, like when you look in hindsight now and the avoidance of the deeper conversations or the things about what's in your pile that you're referencing, in hindsight, what was the fear that you might find there? Do you know what I mean? Or, or what, how that might impact your relationship? I don't think I could imagine what was in his pile <laughs> or each other's pile, like your own. Like if you ask him about his pile, you know your pile's coming next. So, yeah. I don't think I, in my mind of minds, could have imagined what was in his pile. And that's just not really where I was at the time. I had my own mess. That was the truth. I had my own mess and he just enjoyed me. Like he loved, he loved me. And I had in my mind made a really big mess in my life. Like I was very career driven um, and then I got pregnant and I was like, okay, now what? This is not how I thought my life would go. And so I felt kind of honored that he wanted to be part of my pile and that he was willing to like um, love me in the middle of kind of a complex situation. And I think that was shocking to me. I remember my mom saying to me one time, like, you know, Christy, someone will come along again. And I'm like, uh, I'm not into it. Like, I don't need another man right now, mom. I got a lot going on. And then here he comes. I'm like, oh shit. You're like, did my mom set this up? What's happening here? And so we were shocking a lot of people at the time just being in relationship. I think a lot of people around us thought, what the hell are you doing? I think that that question, you know, probably I could uh, answer a little faster, you know, what was I scared she would discover? Well, first of all, I was scared that she would discover I had been unfaithful to every previous partner I had had going back till I was 16. I was certainly terrified that she would find out that I liked sex, 
that I... Um, you weird human. I know. <laughs> no, that's disturbing. I think I was terrified that she would find out that I was anything less than the glittering white knight who was rescuing her from her problems. I remember when Christy asked me, well, gosh, it's hard for me to imagine why someone would want to even divorce you. What, what went wrong? You know, which is this really yeah, generous. Talk to my ex. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's exactly what she should have done. Can I talk to your ex? Um, but she was generous and let me answer my own question. I just kind of, mm, uh, yeah, boy, gosh, <laughs> beats me. Um, you know, it, it was, in fact, into our relationship, I want to say it was like a year into our marriage before I even disclosed the real reasons why I had gotten the divorce previously. Um, and I was terrified to share that. I was terrified because here's the deal. When you meet someone who is so incredible, as I felt she was in that moment, the disparity of your own sense of self to this other person in front of you, that the level of the feeling of unworthiness was so high that I couldn't imagine losing her. I couldn't imagine it. It was too great a, a price to pay, to be honest. And so I, I was willing to and, and happy to be accepted for a person I wasn't. Uh, rather than be rejected for the person I was. The irony of that is in that is the rejection of self. Like, Absolutely. you know, it's fascinating because we think the external version of that will be more painful, but it's actually just the projection of the real painful experience of self. And it just shows you how much we're willing to run from the things that were like most, like the unworthiness that we feel and, and that just perpetuates the living in it. One of the greatest green flags in relationship is if someone has really nice sheets, right? Like we all value sleep, of course, and we value feeling comfortable when we're in bed and that's imperative. And Cozier sheets are my favorite sheets ever. I've loved this product for since I discovered them, which is about five years ago. They've been on Oprah's favorites list for four years in a row. Cozier sheets are softer than cotton. They're incredible. They're temperature regulating, so that means they keep you cool and comfortable all night long. And they believe in their product so much that they have a 10-year warranty on all of them. And they have a 100-night sleep test. So that means that if you're like, yeah, I want to try these sheets. I want to see if these sheets really live up to the joy and excitement Mark has for them. They do. You get a 100-night sleep test, so you get to try for 100 nights. If you don't love them, you can send them back for a full refund. Because Cozy Earth loves that I love these sheets and they want you to experience them, I've just hooked you up with a 40% off site-wide discount. All you got to use is the code GROVES at checkout. So just my last name at checkout. You get 40% off all their stuff. Go get these sheets. They're incredible. Go to CozyEarth.com and use the code GROVES at checkout for 40% off. My schedule can often be pretty busy, and I'm sure you can understand the world kind of grabs at me from every direction, and I think all of us experience that. Social media has really created that, and I take CBD every morning to help with the management of that stress, what can sometimes almost feel like the edge of overwhelm, and one of my favorite products from the brand Cured Nutrition, which I've had the founder on here, super aligned with the brand. I love them, and they have tons of different CBD products, so you can find the one that really aligns with you. And the product, as I was mentioning, that's a favorite is called Rise. 
And it's a full-spectrum CBD. It's got mushrooms in it. It's got adaptogens. And so it creates this trifecta that has been a real game-changer for me and my focus. I definitely notice a difference when I don't take it. I'm sharper when I take it. I feel more creative. And right now, Cured is extending an exclusive offer to you, my listeners. You can grab any Cured product for 20% off by visiting curednutrition.com slash createthelove and use the code createthelove at checkout. So that's C-U-R-E-D nutrition.com slash create the love. And the coupon code is create the love at checkout to save 20%. I think we both felt pretty unworthy in love in that one. And we just found so much safety and acceptance that we just continued to build off of that. One of the interesting things is, again, these roles that we play is that there was a lot of secrets for Rainier. And I was a great secret keeper. Like in terms of avoidance, have I come back to that? I come from like a family family that has a lineage of sexual trauma and I knew how to keep it secret. I knew how to not push in. I knew how to avoid the big things. I was great at that. I was trained for that. And so someone who has secrets and someone who knows how to keep them, we make a really awesome pair, right? <laughs> so we like hit it out of the park. That's kind of how, um, in, until you start saying, what is this? Can we unravel it? And actually, can we face it for me? And can we really be honest? I think also there was something else going on with the genesis of our relationship that I think a lot of people face, which is, you know, the the cultural sign, the signal of being healed is almost ubiquitous for finding new love. You know, um, are you ready to date again? Have you healed enough to date again? Uh, And so we imagine that if someone wants to connect with us, then it must mean that we're not really that bad after all. And if they like me, maybe it means that I'm healed enough to be likable. And so we project outwards that we're healed by simply being in relationship. I, I think this is one of the reasons why people, you know, jump uh, into relationships so fast is I think they are trying to signal that they're healed. But of course, you know, we know now, and I, I certainly think a, a big part of my own experience is being in relationship isn't a substitute for the inner work, right? It just creates its own set of issues. Especially when we jump from relationship to relationship. I mean, ultimately, if we are, which let's be honest, this is everybody till it's not, is the other person really serves what we think, you know, unconsciously as a Band-Aid, you know, or as you were saying, well, I'm in a relationship, so people will stop asking me questions. You know, I, I must be successful. I must be good at them because I'm in one, which I always thought was the giantest misconception. I remember when I started my work, people would say, well, how can you teach about relationship when you're not in one? And I said, well, first off, I'm in lots of relationships, just not romantic. Second, that just perpetuates the misconception that being in one means you're good at them. And People then just become a band-aid to your own, your your fear of confronting yourself or meeting yourself. The irony is they're really just continuing to invite you. You know, it's like, oh, this dysfunction, this challenge, this thing. In your relationship 1.0, what, like you're talking about the secret keeping, at what point did it just become that both of you had to step out of your previous roles or out of the, it, like really own the unworthiness, really own the com- confrontation of the vulnerability and and moving from that avoidance uh, into the actual storm. 
As you know, I eliminated the use of caffeine, and now I've reintroduced it just a little bit in me choosing how it participates in my life, which I like being in control of my relationship with any substance that stimulates me in my mind. And add to that that I really wanted to find something that allowed my brain to perform at its best possible level. I'm in conversations all the time. I'm recording videos. I'm doing podcasts. And so I need to be at the highest performance I can possibly be. So I've been exploring things like nootropics and adaptogens. I absolutely love this company, Cured Nutrition. I love its origin story. It's fully aligned with my values and the integrity to which I want to live by. The product that I love is called Rise, and it's a nootropic that's formulated by their in-house clinical herbalist. And it contains a blend of lion's mane and cordyceps mushrooms, rhodiola, ginseng, and a broad-spectrum CBD. I love this product. It has allowed me to have greater mental clarity and performance. There's no caffeine in it. So in that time of that midday coffee, I don't have to take it. You get no jitters, you get no crash, and you're getting those functional mushrooms, the adaptogens, and the cannabinoids. And it leaves your brain on fire and your to-do list just gets crushed so this company as i mentioned i love and they are extending an exclusive offer to you my listeners you can go grab rise and any of their other products for 20 percent off just go to www.curednutrition.com slash create the love and you use the code create the love at checkout once again that's c-u-r-e-d nutrition.com slash create the love and use the code create the love at checkout to save 20 percent. remember that product is called rise and it is incredible. Well, it's tricky. It's a progression. Like it's layers upon layers upon layers. I think in relationship, you only know what you know in and of yourself. So I give you this layer and we look at it together and then we get to the next layer. And so I think over time, relationship 1.1 now and relationship 1.2, right? Like because you just keep doing it. So the things that we talk about today... They were present then. Like We love to do time travel and go back uh, because we have the ability to sit with a discomfort today that we couldn't then. Mm -hmm. We have this really wonderful story. It's not wonderful. It's kind of heartbreaking, but it was in relationship one point something. And uh, Rainier's coming home from work. He um, has gone all day and I'm home at this point with like four kids and two dogs. And we have this old house and we don't have blinds up. It's kind of like a fishbowl and we live in downtown. And so we have all this chaos inside and he comes home from work and I'm feeling really lonely. I'm not sure his experience. And he comes home from work and I see him on the outside of the house. He pulls up and I'm inside and there's all this stuff around me and I look out and then he drives away. And I don't know when he comes back. But it's funny because we both remember that moment. And the moment that we remember is, oh, I just wanted you to come inside and be with me. Like, oh, I saw you and I, I, I needed you. And I was so lonely in that moment. Probably that moment in our relationship. And he remembers, and I was just so overwhelmed and disconnected and lonely that I just couldn't come in the house. We wouldn't have the skills then. We weren't connected in a way that we could receive that, even though we needed it. So we've been able to time travel and go back and say, I missed you. I remember that. So it's layers. That's how we've done it, layer after layer. I don't know what you would say. Yeah, I'm definitely remembering that moment. And I always am just so struck by a sense of 
retroflective shame when I think of that, you know, like not going in the house. God, what kind of husband, what kind of father does that? I was abdicating something uh, in that moment. I sense that we were both abdicating various truths that we knew for ourselves in those moments. And we've talked about this so much that I, I know that to be the case. But there was this real sense of both of us committing just egregious self-betrayal. I think that's one of the realities of betrayal, that the, the first betrayal is to self. That allows for all the other betrayals that come. And I had betrayed myself over and over and over a long time ago. And so I think in answer to your question, you know, when, when was a turning point? Well, as Christy's saying, there were many turning points. I think for me, the, the most potent turning point was standing on a beach I had just confessed to one infidelity um, and I had told her what I deeply hoped was everything. <laughs> it wasn't. It was the tip of the iceberg. But, but I, I had tumbled out what felt to be just massive. It was the first opening in my own heart that I had, that I had been able to create. And I had told her this thing. And I remember thinking to myself, if I can just be honest, the relationship may fail. People may hate me, but at least I will have recovered myself. And I think that that becomes the first form of faithfulness, the fidelity to self. And that would become a, a North Star for me uh, over and over in this process. Can I be faithful to myself? And that creates then an opening to to actually engage someone else, I think, in that process. Mm, there's such a liberation in that moment. It's, it's fascinating, too, because the paradox of that is that you're finally laying out, showing the thing maybe you have the most shame about or has been kept most secret. You're most afraid of people finding out about. You disclose it and, and own it, you know, the tip of it, but it still matters. There's an, a strange paradox that occurs because... You feel free, but yet someone's hurt. And it's a really, I find that's what's so fascinating about moving towards integrity or telling the truth or, you know, committing to that type of life is initially you've never experienced more liberation, but you've also often will never experience more devastation in some way. So it's this strange, weird, as Francis Weller says, you know, the soul likes to dwell in the darkness. And I think that's that space where you begin to meet yourself, but you're also in some of the darkest times. We talk about this uh, concept of event horizon, where an event happens and we meet it as close as we can and talk about it as close as we can to that event. Now, if you have a long history of not talking about things, it gets you, it takes a while to get there. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that we've practiced probably in the last couple of years. Uh, not holding on to it so long, not keeping it underground. If it's if I'm thinking about it, it's important. If it's happening within me, I need to share it. But it takes a long time to get there. You know, when you're in a relationship for quite a few years, we've been married 11 now, and we had gained a lot of traction underground for a long time. We had a lot to unearth. And so now when we have things that come up, we're better at getting to the event horizon. I mean, it happened, I'm thinking about it, then I should share it. So then we don't have to continue digging into the deep well. So that's something we've been able to practice 
man, it's taken us a lot of time and a lot of work, but we've done it. The gift of rupture in relationship, I think, is is something not to be minimized. Because here's the reality. Most of us think that that a relationship um, is contingent on how well we get along, on the good times. I think that true relating begins the moment of rupture, right? The moment that that the illusions are dispelled. The moment that those things that allowed you to get off the couch in the first place are suddenly eroded and you're staring at each other uh, naked and afraid and you're seeing each other. And often that is contingent on some kind of breach, some kind of of uh, moment that is absolutely what you would never wish upon your worst enemy. Right, you found out you've been lied to. You found out you've perhaps uh, didn't know this thing. Maybe they acted in a way that that you thought they shouldn't. Whatever those things are, you now see them. You really see them. I think that is the beginning of possibility. Before that, there they were that cardboard cutout. But now suddenly you're able to see the real human being standing in front of you. And I think that's the, that's the, the fidelity of betrayal, right? When we betray those myths, those stories, those narratives, when we betray those illusions that had, that had been keeping us so safe and so secure, when we betray those things, suddenly we're able to actually see one another. And, and I think that that is what happened uh, that was the gift of that moment for us, uh, even though I would never want it uh, ever again uh, or wish it on anyone else or recreate it. But when I look back, it afforded us the ability to be in relationship. It's like an excuse to tell the truth. Part you talk about, about betrayal, that the betrayals that occur outside of us are because of the betrayals much earlier within ourselves. In a world that seems to celebrate self-betrayal and celebrate holding up the facade. And I, I think that goes from since birth and, and that comes from religion, that comes from, which are often intersected with culture and family. And you realize that like very few relationships are actually based on a commitment to the truth. You know, they're not. And I'm curious, how did, like, what are some tips or thoughts you have on, you know, because Christy, you were speaking to this too, the event horizon, like the capacity to both hold the truth and express it ourselves, right? That's something we have to, our nervous system has to be able to begin to hold. And I think the rupture invites at least the invitation to that. How do you guys, can you speak to both the individual capacity to do what you're talking about, to return to truth, but also the relationship's ability to do that? Because it seems like those probably have a symbiotic relationship. And what your experience was of that? Yeah. Well, I think um, finding self, finding self first was the most important thing. And I think that Rainier started that a lot quicker than I did because it's really easy to point a finger when someone does you wrong. You did this thing, we'll figure out you, we'll figure this, this situation. And I think that he was a lot more proactive in um, finding himself and challenging himself in those ways. And I think it took me a little bit longer to find myself. And I think that's something that I'm doing now. Uh, mm -hmm. And that in terms of like, I, 
that's my, that's my goal is just a continuation of that. It's not like I found something. It's like I'm finding over and over and over this part of myself. You've done this big series, I think, on codependency. And I think that we're all just codependent freaks out there, right? I just really think that we are. It's so <laughs> embarrassing. Agree. It's like, ah, right. and really seeing yourself for the first time, like, what are my thoughts? What are my emotions? What are my needs and my wants and my desires? I easily give them up for someone else. I'm the youngest child in a family of four with three older brothers. I knew how to give up self to belong. I'm not saying my family wasn't a great family. I'm saying I knew what to do. And so belonging for me was the most important thing. And I think in relationships, we duplicate that. I surely didn't want to lose Rainier. No, I surely didn't want that. But I surely didn't want to lose myself. And I had really realized I really didn't have a sense of self. Being a mom is a great example. I work with young moms and someone will just have a baby and I'll just say, you're doing a great job. And they'll just cry. And they'll say, really? I am like, yeah, you are. Because guess what? Uh, life is hard and it's hard to have a self in the middle of taking care of a family and being in relationship. And so it is finding the self first. And I feel like for me, I've been very diligent about finding a self outside of religion, outside of politics, outside of relationship. That has been my goal is like, how do I find myself? And I've really seen myself in that codependent space. And that's become a, a dialogue that we use and when, when talking to each other. Um, it's freeing for both of us. When one person can see themselves, the other person were mirrors. And so we continue that process together. I love that. I, I think that is, first of all, just so sexy. You know, even hearing her say, I find myself over and over and over. I I adore that because the, the reality is we can't be in relationship um, without a self. It requires that. And so if you think about um, your own self right now, well, what is my self? <laughs> what is myself? Well, the first thing you are is a body in space and time. So locating yourself, locating your breath, locating yourself as a nervous system, as an organism in your body, this creature inhabiting this moment that is totally unique, has never existed before. That really is the first and primary fidelity, you know, to, to find that. And once I can sense myself, once I can know my own physiological experience, then I begin to branch out and begin to, well, what are, what are the thoughts that I'm observing, right? You are not your thoughts. You're having thoughts, but you are the observer of your thoughts. What are the emotions that I'm noticing? I've had millions of emotions. They're gone. I'm still here. I'm not my emotions, but I am the observer. I'm the witness to my emotions. So as I begin to gradually observe and witness myself, that inner observer, that inner witness grows like a sense of density or gravity. And from that place, that is the solidification of self that occurs over time. You begin to decide, well, what are my preferences and not just the, the product of the state corporations and, the, and religion and my parents and the caregivers and circumstances? What is the self that exists beyond those things? And if we're honest, most of us don't really have a self at all, right? We're, we're just kind of regurgitations of all the things we've heard. We're a thousand voices, which is why we never know what we want <laughs> because we're always just what everyone else told us we wanted. And once you begin to do that, your capacity enlarges. You begin to know the truth. You begin to know the truth. 
I know what the thoughts are. I know what the feelings are. I know what the desires are. And then you know you can survive. That's one of the gifts of going through a crisis. I think we can tiptoe all day around, you know, like truth comes out and trickles and a lot of people are like, well, you know, I just don't think the relationship could handle it. And so I, I'm just, I'm going to share a little bit now and a little bit tomorrow and maybe I'll skip a day and that's great. Well, you know, one of the things is if you turn on the faucet now and the fire hose now, um, your capacity is going to be enlarged if you get through that. <laughs> I'm a big believer. Say it like it is. Um, and that was certainly a, a, a big part of it for us. Say what you know to be true today. If you're able to hold that hidden, then you already have the capacity. You know, it's kind of interesting. You just don't have the capacity to hold it together, which I think is probably the more challenging thing. And, and it, by hiding it, it retains a coating of shame rather than a coating of vulnerability or expansion. And then you can actually fall in love with your partner for the first time. I mean, you're kind of asking that question and some, how do you get to the next thing is that I wasn't relating to the real person and he wasn't relating to the real me. When I'm real, then I can actually have relationship for the first time. So I would say in a lot of ways, the last couple years of our life have just been the best years of our life because we've gotten to know each other, the real part the, the desires, the wishes, the flub ups, we're not waiting, we're not digging a hole and, and then covering it up and hoping to God that it doesn't get uh, dug up again. And so I, I really, that's what I wish. I mean, I've tasted it. I'm living it. That's what I wish for others is that if you can get to that baseline of authenticity, if you can, if you can accept yourself and share it, then you can have real relating um, and again, I think Rainier said, it doesn't mean that it's easy. It means that it's real. And oftentimes we have a lot of unreal relationships. I feel thrilled because there's real and that just is the most refreshing thing. And, it'll, and it encourages me. It calls me in to bring that same sense of, of who I am. Like, Keep showing up. Don't fall back asleep. How did your community respond to the transformation and this sort of like birth, I was going to say rebirth, but it's really like the birth of, of what you value, what you honor and returning perhaps to that from when we're born with a commitment to it. It's very different than today. So how did your community or the people around you, friends, family, all that respond to this commitment? Because of course, if you're committed to each other and self, then that means all the relationships now are at least invited to like, they're like, fuck, they're fucking up some shit over there and telling the truth. Like, we taught them not to do that. So maybe we should just take a step back, you know? It's such an astute observation. You know, anytime a part within the system begins to change, it calls the whole system into question. And of course, a relationship isn't just a relationship between two or, or however many number of people are involved in that. It's, it's a relationship between the systems that they bring in. And so there were different responses. Um, is the truth. I think I've shared publicly before um, when I first began to talk about uh, that moment of infidelity, Christie's father was one of the first people I shared with. And they come from a, a Judeo-Christian evangelical background. And, um, and that was very, very terrifying. This is a man I deeply respected. I remember the day I, I 
asked for his blessing to marry his daughter. I remember the promises, the guarantees I made him. So to confess and confide that that had been breached was really terrifying. And I expected that he would, you know, be on my doorstep with a shotgun. I'll never forget at the end of roughly an hour and a half of me humming and hawing through that meandering story. And and he on the other end of the phone, um, giving kind of nonverbal, but, but audible signals that he was listening. Um, I'll never forget what he said. He said, I don't so much care what you did. I care that you came home and I want you to know that I'm deeply committed to the decision that you and Christy make. And it sounds like it's one to go forward and I'm deeply committed to being on your team and to being a person on on your side. Then, you know, kind of without missing a beat, he said, but I'm also a coach. And when I see players who get injured, I become intimately interested in their recovery. And so I am now not only on your team, I am one person who is very interested in your recovery. You and I will now be talking weekly about the changes you are making in your life. And we did for the next year of my life. Every Saturday, I would call him uh, and we would talk very candidly about, about life and about many of my innermost thoughts. It was one of the most transformational welcomings um, I've ever had. And it taught me a lot about how people can both extend grace and extend accountability at the same time. That's um, beautiful. The two go hand in hand. There were other relationships that couldn't make the the journey, right? That, that you know, went very quiet <laughs> uh, suddenly. There were friendships that uh, could only see me as just a, an, an asshole who, uh, who hurt this incredible human and could only see her as, as perhaps weak or, or um, uh, foolish for, for our commitment to going forward. Um, and some still can't make that journey. Our job is really not to determine people's responses to us. For one thing, I always think when we get that response, especially to me, I always have thought, well, they're not wrong. <laughs> uh, I, I can agree with them, actually. That action was wrong. I can actually stand with you and, and, and almost say, boy, if you only knew. <laughs> if you only knew the half of it, you'd hate me even more. If I can stand and continue to stand, and if we can stand and continue to stand, then maybe, maybe they'll see that this is solid and they'll be willing to come around again. But either way, that's not really my job to determine. Yeah, and and they wouldn't be wrong to say I was foolish. We've talked about that. We just had our uh, anniversary like last week, or and we were talking about like, wow, here we are. And I can't believe it. I can't believe that, that we're here. And I think Randy Urban said, you were so foolish. What were you thinking? What were you thinking? I'm like, I know. And I think that um, that's part of it is we don't know. And there's no right way to do it. I think that's the most beautiful part is that how we understand relating is it's actually just bringing yourself more and more of yourself to the relationship, to the capacity that you have, that you're willing to do. It was foolish. It was, you know, unwise at times. And at the same time, um, we found something that we wouldn't have found otherwise. People aren't wrong. And our job is not to 
um, convince. Our job is to live it. And it's not just for each other. I think actually in opposition, we've talked about also recently that I feel for in relationship to Rainier, his words are hitting so deeply for people because it, because it is so integrated in his life. Mm. And as his partner, I know those to be true because I get to experience them. And there was a time in my life where I wasn't attached to those words because I didn't believe them to be true because I was a recipient of another side. And today when I read his words, he's like, will you read this? And I just wept in bed. I just wept because I, I said, yep, that's you. That is me. That is what I know. And so our job isn't to be a certain something for each other. Our job is to be a self and to keep bringing that. And that's what we found is the more that he does that, the richer his life is, the richer my life, the more that I do that, I bring that to relationship. A few days ago, I, I just, I was struck with, with wanting the best for Christy. And I, I think that relationships, we, we kind of want our partner to be happy, but not too happy. You know, like <laughs> we certainly don't want them to be happy without us we have some really great conditions that we place on happiness. And for whatever reason, there were some things that were kind of blown away for me and it was embodied in this phrase. Um, and so I wrote, dear lover, I want you to win. I want you to be filled with courage and to dare and to take great leaps and to be decadent and to be brave and to risk. I want you to go further than you ever dreamed you could. I want you to look back and say you lived the life you wanted, leaving nothing out. Every adventure, each wild ride, take them all. So often what passes for love acts only as gilded cages, keeping our wings clipped and our movements small. What begins as security becomes captivity. What starts as protection descends into prevention. We make ourselves and our love into flightless birds. But real love opens the door and shatters the chains that holds us back. Love invites us to become more, not less. And I like it when you're ravenous and bite off more than you can chew. I like it when you're untamed and messy and uncivilized. Don't be domestic. Be feral. Go wild. My love, explore every uncharted region of your soul. Plant a flag on the moon. Don't hold yourself back. Exhaust yourself. Reinvent. Wipe the old slate clean and start again. Wander. Take your time. Flare up. See all the sights. Deepen, ripen, evolve. Take up space. Have desires. Be whimsical. Write a new story. Shout it from the rooftops. Dear lover, fly. Don't look back. I'll be here. The ground beneath you. And I meant it. And maybe, maybe that only happens when you're a self. Maybe that only happens when you realize that you're two selves who have finally discovered each other. I think then you can want the best for each other. Even if that means, well, maybe it's not even you. You're okay with that too. First off, beautiful words. Totally relate to and I try, or I can't say try because Yoda says you can't try. Either do or don't and rest is bullshit. Do my best to live that constantly. I think when I forget about myself, then I want to hold back someone else. You know, it's like an irony. As you said, they become, you say, uh, protection becomes prevention. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so many of those words are just perfect encapsulations of sort of 
the marriages or relationships we've been handed. I do think it's a strange truth that I know too now, which is if my partner's liberation means us no longer being together, that actually is what I want for her. You know, and that's a weird, because, you know, people go, well, that's not love. Well, that's not the love we were taught. Like, why would we ever want our relationship to be a prison? But that's a totally different place to get to. And I'm curious when you guys are working with couples, what is sort of the greatest challenge you tend to see? And what is the greatest, or maybe they're the same, what is the greatest resistance you see to them accepting in the work, like in how you guys have evolved and then teaching people how to step into a similar space? I'm curious what that is. One of the illustrations that we use is oftentimes in relationships, we build a castle, a brick wall around us to keep everything and everyone out, like a fortress. That's a better word. And we got a moat around it. And there's those alligators you remember as a kid, you know, like going to snap somebody if they try to make it that way. And so we build this really strong fortress, usually based on illusions, but we have it and it keeps us secure. And so we have this, this structure that we know that we can rely on. It's often our, our parent structure, but we've created something that looks similar and we know it belongs there and we, we know it doesn't belong there. But let's say something happens in relationship like infidelity, right? And uh, things start to crumble. We don't know what to do when uh, there's a block that's missing. Everything topples after that. And so we really tried to have a different illustration around a trampoline, in which uh, relationships are more like a trampoline. They propel us up higher and greater to do flips and tricks and things like that. Double bounce. Yeah, double bounce, right? Uh, Sometimes we might steal someone's bounce, right? Uh, But the idea is, is to create ways to move and to breathe. And sometimes like what we talked about is sometimes there can be such a threat. How do I feel safe? even if um, it's not together or there's not similar expansion. I like that you said there's leapfrog. Sometimes I grow, sometimes my partner grows. Sometimes I grow, sometimes my partner grows. But if something falls apart, um, not the whole thing has to crumble. We've been using these muscles to exercise authenticity and acceptance of self, that it's our joy when we can get that person on that bounce to see them go higher. That's difficult. It's difficult if you don't have a sense of self. And I would say almost impossible to cheer your partner on if you don't have a sense of self. I was a really great cheerleader, but without a sense of self, I have like resentment inside of me. Oh, wish I, I wish I had that thing that you did. Or you can do that, but not me. I'll cheerlead you on, but I'll take one for the team and never really express that. That sense of self is vital to participating on that trampoline type of picture. It's not that uh, we're going to be overwhelmed if something falls apart. We can replace it. Would you say more to that? Yeah, I, I love this analogy so much, in part because, and I can, I can totally see our youngest son, who is nine years old, running to the trampoline, his golden red hair, uh, you know, just catching the light of day. And he does one of those double or triple flips. And here's what happens to me. My heart drops. Because I know something that he doesn't, I know that there's an inherent built-in risk to being on a trampoline. No matter how great the nets are, no matter how good the springs are, it's risky. A fortress isn't that risky. I think it's a an inherent substitution in how we think about relationships. Relationships aren't meant to keep you safe. 
You think they are, but actually there's a built-in risk to relating. Loving is risky. <laughs> Loving requires risk from the moment you get up off the couch, right? And so if we can take out that illusion of safety and begin to locate safety as an inner security, I know I'm going to be okay. I'm ultimately going to be okay until the day I'm not, and then I'm going to die. <laughs> and if I can house my, my sense of reality and this all ends, loving is a terrible, beautiful risk. And while I'm doing it, I want it to take me higher and further. And I want you to laugh and be delighted. And yes, sometimes we're going to have to patch up bruised knees and elbows <laughs> and, and might even have to take a pause, whatever those things are. But, but that's the joy of living. Life and love aren't that much different. It all ends at some point in time, but how did you play? How did you play? Everything. And the trampoline analogy is so good. I was actually just, uh, when we bought our house, it came with a trampoline, but the trampoline had a hole in it. That was so nice of them to include it. It had snow <laughs> on it at the time when we were negotiating. I was taking it apart to to get rid of it. And I was kind of thinking about when we were kids, trampolines were danger zones. Like they had... They had the pad over the spring, but often your arm or your leg would go through it and then get pinched by the spring or you'd fly off, you'd get double bounce. And I was kind of, I was looking at the trampoline. And I'm like, isn't this indicative of how, I mean, no insult to the youngest generations, but because it's not their fault, but it's indicative of how we want to protect everybody from everything. This trampoline is spring free. So it's like some sort of coily plastic things around them and it's got nets all around it. Like you really can't get injured. If you did, you really pulled a mission. But I was like, isn't this the thing? Like we want to protect ourselves so much from this risk. Like there are boundaries, I think, are very, you know, they're kind of like the net. They're a, ne they're a necessity for life. They're so important. Without them, you don't have a self, right? Because you have no pr preservation of your own wholeness, of your own identity. This idea that we can, because I think how that that sort of parenting style from the 90s that was safety isn't parenting, helicopter parenting, mm -hmm. really prepares us to think like about trying to navigate life risk-free. With that yeah. said, I obviously know lots of people who love All Out and let's look at the X Games and Red Bull. Like they're fucking <laughs> shit up too. So I don't, I'm just saying that sometimes that message can get perpetuated. This idea that if I don't love anybody, then I'll never get hurt, you know, or if I put up a big enough fortress or if I, you know, the only one that really loses in that is us, but also the people we're meant to share our open hearts with. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Because you're also parents. I think that this thought that you put forward about that, that helicopter parenting and, oh my goodness, it's so true. And, you know, like JFK said, the moment your children are born, they take your hearts hostage. And it's true. I mean, my God, it's terrifying being a parent. It really is. It's terrifying being alive, but then you watch someone you love um, be alive and make all the mistakes that, that you mm -hmm. wish that you could prevent them from making. And it's really alarming. But I think that, that here, one of, the, one of the tools of empire or control is always to mask control as safety. The safety is really the, the, the broadcast message behind which control lies. And if you can let go of this illusion of control, I was never in control. 
I was never in control of you. I was never in control of where this love would go. I was never in control of me, if I was actually honest. We control nothing. If I can let that go, then I can actually um, relate uh, on reality and on the basis of reality. Yeah, it's, it's wild that we don't really live in reality most times. And so I think that that is, that is the biggest um, gift we can bring in relationship, we can bring to our kids. You know, we have ages 17 to nine. And so they're all in different facets and places in life. Man, it's wild. Like we can have a senior. And I think it's been, yeah, it's, oh. it's been one of those things like, whoa, you can see parts of yourself, right? You're seeing these mirrors into your life. You know, I see this, this mirror in, in my daughter. It's like, oh, I've been so closed off emotion. And I see that in her. I'm like, oh, there's a mirror. So it, it really draws us out, whether it's a relationship to one another or relationship to our kids, to be real, to be authentic, to encourage that in all relationships, not just our own, but in all, because we want them to, to find themselves as well. It's so important. How did that transformation of your relationship impact your kids and how you parent? I think they notice a difference. Um, they've commented, various ones, especially the older ones, have commented about this, right? Yeah, our oldest, um, they definitely can see, they always make comments about how much dad loves mom, I think, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty awesome. They make comments as to, oh, I want to love like that. Yeah. I want to love like that. I hope I can find one like that. Because we've had more co candid conversations with our older ones. Our younger ones, we haven't had a lot of candid conversations with. But our older ones, we have. And they'll say, I'm really glad that you chose to mm -hmm. work it out. Thank you for doing that. Because we have a blended family. It's not everyone's path. Um, and it was ours in that moment. And we just kept choosing. They're also just keen detectors of bullshit. That's one of the things, <laughs> like children in general are, but I think ours are especially weaponized for it. Uh, <laughs> it's so true. They'll hear, you know, they'll hear other people talk and and relate, and they'll just when when the lights fade, when when we're going home, or or it's just us, they'll call people on it. They'll say like, "Oh my god." Did you hear that? Oh, he's just making excuses so he doesn't have to actually be in relationship to her. And I'm like, oh my God, you are so deadly. You're so dangerous. It's so good. It's really great. Yeah. They don't like each other at all. Why are they even married? <laughs> you know? So yeah, we get to hear a lot of the, the comments. But um, I think whenever you're tender, whenever you're honest, whenever you keep showing up, your kids see it. They benefit from it. And we had a, Rainier went to Crete for a month mm. um, in June. And that was a big thing for our family. It was a family thing in which, and I think this goes back to wanting your partner to reach high. We had lots of conversations around that mm -hmm. in which I told him, I was like, if I was dating you, if I was dating you, I would say go, right? Like I had this moment, like, but why don't I? Because I'm married to you. Like, what is keep like, so you can't do these things. It was really this point of, if I didn't hold this position, if I was just your lover, right? If I was just this person in your life that wanted these things for you, then yeah, I think you say yes to this opportunity. Yeah, that was an example of us using that trampoline to spring higher. And then our kids, uh, we talk with our kids about it and how we have to work together to make that happen. 
Yeah, one of our one of our kids recently broke it off with his uh, with his flame. It was really his first kind of girlfriend experience, and uh, and he broke up with her. And, and you know, we we were genuinely you know kind of mystified, like, well, wh- why did you end it? And um, and he said, well, I just. I didn't have the time to dedicate to the connection. And what I, what I heard was, oh, maybe she was prioritizing it in a different way than he was, and he recognized his own limits. And I was so proud of him. He didn't put it into those words, but I was so proud of him that he knew what his capacity in that moment was. He observed what her expectations were and knew that the, the twain did not meet. Uh, and was willing to walk away, even though it was hard. And I thought, oh, this is such a good lesson. Everybody should have a fall on your face moment up front, right? Everyone should learn how to end a relationship up front. Um, I was so proud of him actually in that. We were actually shocked, but it was it was a wonderful shock. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's such a skill to do and in a good way, you know, if it's coming from an embodied place rather than an avoidant place. But it's a good skill to have because it's it's demonstrating that we can choose ourselves in the face of disappointment, in the face of hurting someone. I think often the ruptures are the reclam- you know, the, the road back to being able to do that, to sit with that, to face that. It has it's been such a delight. It's such a delight, Christy, to be able to engage with you too and hear your insights and your experience of of life and relating. And I'm sure for the people listening, um, they would love to know where do they find more of you both or individually and like what kind of work do you guys offer? Yeah, you can find both of us on Instagram. Those are our favorite haunts, uh, Rainier Wild, uh, and then Christy Marie Bourne is yours. Yep. Yeah. Right now we're actually taking some couples through our very first course that we've taught together. We're so excited about that and we're undoubtedly going to offer that again called Indulgence, Fireproofing Your Relationship. And um, that's something we're really excited to put forward. A lot of the principles that we've even talked about here and the things that we talked about. Christy works uh, intimately with couples and individuals as a as a therapist and, uh, and then sometimes we come alongside and do peer mentorship together um, with couples who are going through uh, big relational changes. Yeah. All that's available on our Instagrams. Sweet. Well, we'll make sure we link it all out in the show notes. So if you want to check them out, just check out the show notes. I appreciate both of you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mark. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love. 